welcome to the Vocational Education Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Dan. So tell us a bit about you, Peter. Oh, about me personally or about the organisation? Oh, a bit of both, a bit of both. <laughs> so uh, my name is Peter Skugens. I'm the Director of the Australian Apprenticeships and Traineeships Information Service, um, which is usually referred to as ATIS because it's much easier to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, so me personally, my background um, in the vet sector, uh, I started in the sector actually as a research officer at the NCVER, um, so several years back uh, uh, in Adelaide, um, and moved over to ATIS about uh, four years ago now, um, originally starting off the research program and then moving into the position as the director. So Fantastic. Well, look, I'm also sort of excited about that. Um, NCVER to start with. Um, Let's go way back then, because that's um, I love what NCVR do for our sector. It's our it's our go to place for all those statistics that we desperately want one year after they're done. <laughs> well, yes, it would be nicer if they came out a bit quicker, but uh, at least they're accurate. Oh, they are. They are indeed. No, it's 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 really good. Um, I'm just going to uh, change our view here so we can both see each other at the same time. That's just for my recording purposes. Um, so, yeah, the, the reason I wanted to catch up, um, the Vocational Education Podcast has been around for a number of years, but um, we've had one hell of a hiatus this year. Uh, we actually stopped um, recording, I think, around January, February. And even those January, February ones were just, uh, um, yeah, we didn't have interviews planned, etc. So, yeah, we've been sitting around going, God, what are we doing? Um, I had to go and concentrate actually on our business, which is the RTO, and uh, and that's, yeah, that's been going great. And actually, we're, I guess, thriving in a, in a COVID world at the moment because a lot of people are finally taking up training. So that's a good thing. But I'm so glad to be finally talking to people like yourself and finding out more about how the, the last year has affected everyone and um, those who you touch from time to time. So tell me about um, how things have been over the last year. Well, I mean, it has been an absolutely crazy year, uh, 2020. I think uh, not too many people will be upset to see the back of that mm. <laughs> in a couple of months' time. Um, I guess for the apprenticeship sector, it, it has certainly been a really challenging year. Um, you know, starting off even um, going back before we'd even heard the word COVID, um, starting the year with uh, bushfires, which had uh, huge effects on um, agricultural regions across Australia and on um, the farmers and a lot of different organisations and, and businesses, um, and then going basically straight from there into COVID, um, mm. seeing a lot of the lockdowns. Um, it's it's been really um, negative for apprenticeship numbers uh, for young people trying to find a, their first job, their you know their first apprenticeship, um, and for employers looking to to be able to train up staff. So. Um, you know, starting to see things looking up a little bit, although, you know, uh, our organisation's based down here in Melbourne, so oh, right. mm. uh, it's still a bit difficult down here, but certainly uh, across the rest of Australia, things are recovering a little bit better. But um, I guess from an apprenticeship perspective, because it is so closely tied with the employment market, even though we are looking at training a lot of the time as well, um, it, it's very challenging when we see these economic downturns. Mm. So, so tell me about the um, statistically, I guess, that seems to be um, something you're ingrained with there or very familiar yes. with. What sort of downturn did we see maybe, uh, like I did see the NCBR statistics and yeah, sure, apprenticeships were reducing um, over the last maybe three or four years, but, um, but what happened? What happened back in March and, and, uh, and April? 
Yeah, so the March um, quarter statistics have been released. Um, now, of course, you know, that's for January, February and March. So again, mm. COVID had quite really hit the economy there, but we uh, definitely saw uh, quite a sharp decline in Australian apprenticeship commencements, so across both um, trade and non-trade areas. Um, the National Australian Apprenticeships Association, uh, who's the peak body for the apprenticeship network providers, has also been tracking um, numbers uh, informally through their providers. Um, and it really does look like we're going to see a much steeper uh, drop off over the next couple of uh, data releases once um, NCVR um, is able to release those. So we're kind of seeing the tip of the iceberg coming through in that in those yeah. official collections. Um, but, but as you say, it's off the back of a very slow and steady drop off. So uh, even if we're aiming to get back to 2019 numbers, you know, that's the lowest it's been um, this century. So wow, yeah, you know, it, it's not necessarily in the place we need it to be. So, so what do you think, um, yeah. you know, pre-COVID, what do you think the some of the reasons for that were based on your discussions with people? Look, we've certainly um, seen just in the last couple of weeks since uh, the, the government's announced uh, further funding and activity in the sector, we've seen a huge amount of um, activity and interest in apprenticeships. And I think there really has um, up until now been really a lack of, um, uh, I guess, marketing and promotion of the Australian apprenticeship system and the benefits there. Um, without having kind of large marketing campaigns, without having big pushes in the sector, um, you know, things have been dropping off slowly. Um, but I think it is also uh, a reflection of the fact employers are finding it so difficult to find the apprentices that they need um, mm. with so many young people in particular moving towards the university sector um, and a bit of a perception that apprenticeships are, are for someone who maybe isn't so academically inclined or for someone um, who you know, uh, doesn't want to do that study. A lot of the time, actually, employers do need someone who have, um, you know, good maths, uh, good school results, who are dedicated to doing the training. Mm. Um, so for an employer, it can be quite difficult finding um, an apprentice. And, uh, you know, with a lot of people not really interested in the sector, it's it's just been that slow, steady, steady decline in employers wanting to invest and uh, people wanting to move into it. So we saw a decline, um, I guess, around, and we'll get to the incline soon, don't worry, it's not all doom and gloom. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> we saw a decline there, uh, but also in the university sector. Um, I know that a lot of that was based on international students. Of course, that all just disappeared. But even yes. without that, um, there was a decline in university numbers as well. So if they're not going to university, not doing trades, um, what do you think is happening? I'm really not sure, actually. You know, it is difficult. Um, you know, we do hear a lot about the university sector taking a lot more students um, but as you say there there is a, a drop off there as well and um, with with places being capped again um, I do mm. wonder if there's people moving into um, non-accredited training or moving straight into employment um, outside of an apprenticeship arrangement as well uh, but I'd love to see some really good research comparing the different pathways <laughs> Yeah, well, me too, me too, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I think also we're, we're gonna see some changes, and this is the positive now, some changes to the apprenticeship sector now that there, it looks like there's gonna be an increase in fees for even the humanities degrees and stuff through university now coming into 2021. So that might be just enough of a turnoff to those people who thought, oh no, I need a new university um, education to get employed. Now they might they maybe start starting to think about apprenticeships again because at least with apprenticeships they get paid from day one it might not be much but it's it's you know you get paid to to uh, gain that skill. 
I know that didn't sound like a question, but it was kind yeah, of a question. <laughs> Look, I think the combination of, sorry, <laughs> I think that the combination of um, of the, the increased university fees in a lot of different areas, um, coupled with uh, the increased activity around things like the boosting apprenticeship commencements wage subsidy, um, employers have started thinking about taking on apprentices again and in a much wider range of sectors because these incentives are no longer tied to specific industries or specific occupations. Employers are able to actually look at the system and say, is this something that I can participate in and take someone on in? And as you say, you know, an Australian apprenticeship apprentice gets paid from day one so there's a huge positive in that you know it's it's not an astronomical amount um, the, the wages definitely increase post apprenticeship but mm. um, you are getting paid um, and you know that there are jobs there because you're in one so it's not like going to university or potentially doing other vocational education where you're not sure about what the employment outcomes are at the end of it um, this is something where you know there's an employment outcome because you're in it. Mm. Now, um, sorry, we are having a little bit of a delay, which I haven't experienced before on Zoom. So my oh, apologies if, if I ask you a question and then I don't hear a response and go, why aren't you answering me? That's, that's just technology for you. But anyway, that's what's, what happens. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like we're on satellite across the world or something. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, the, the apprenticeship sector does really interest me. Um, do you also look into traineeships as well? Is that a part of your remit? Yeah, absolutely. So we we um, are around Australian apprenticeships, so apprenticeships and traineeships, um, okay. but under a formal contract of training. So um, a lot of time employers um, and people in the industry use the term trainee or traineeship for a, a non-contract of training um, mm. kind of arrangement, which is fine, uh, but we deal with the, the contract of training side. Okay. And um, the subsidy at the moment, uh, please correct me, I'm not 100% across this, but the subsidy at the moment, wage subsidies, is it $200 a week or something like that for taking on a new apprentice? Is that correct? Uh, so the, the, the $200 a week is actually not for apprenticeships. That's for young employer, uh, employees. Right. Um, so the, the current wage subsidy is up to $7,000 uh, per quarter or half of the wage of an Australian apprentice um, right. for one year. Okay, and does that apply to traineeships as well, or is there still that? Um, okay, it does. Oh, yeah, anything under a contract of training. So, um, if you're eligible uh, to be signed up into a contract of training, um, and so that can, uh, inc it, there's no age limit on that as well, unlike. The, oh, that's um, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it can also apply to existing workers. So, if you're an employer who really needs to upskill or retrain one of your staff, um, and you haven't been able to invest in that. Um, you can actually apply for this wage subsidy to be able to upskill them. Fantastic. So does that also uh, apply? So there are quite a lot of industries uh, that that, you know, may be important. Okay. Um, so a lot of, I, I do understand that um, the, the BSB training package uh, has always been a, a good one for traineeships, people getting that first step into business and, and learning Absolutely. about how to work in an office and that sort of thing. Now, the caveat on that back in the day when I was involved in it was that um, there was a cap and the person didn't uh, couldn't have completed, I think, a cert three or above in the past. Um, is that still the case? Or because I, I like the fact that you said older Australians for the apprenticeships, but that, does that sort of transfer to uh, traineeships yeah. as well? It it will. Um, so it, it's going to depend on what the qualification is. So the eligibility requirements there are actually around being able to be signed up into a contract of training. Uh, so if you are eligible for the contract, you can get the subsidy. Um, but there will be cases where people have um, an equivalent or an equivalent higher qualification that won't be able to get signed up. 
okay okay up into yeah. the contract and therefore won't be able to get the subsidy yeah, yeah. I, I have found um like our company hires um experienced people um up until next month i will be the youngest person in my company i mean i'm 49. Excellent. <laughs> pardon me so um it's it's uh, yeah everyone's over 50 and uh they bring into our company a, a world of experience and and we love it we absolutely love the fact but they've all got qualifications from the last 20 30 years of work uh so none of them uh, yeah, yeah none of them can get any sort of subsidy with regards to additional training and i would love to put them through like diplomas of leadership and management and things like mm -hmm. this or or even cert fours to to just increase their skills now um so so is there anything um piloting for that or is there anything coming up that that um that the, uh, the traineeships might yeah. apply to look um i yeah, it's so difficult to talk about individual eligibility i'd recommend talking to an apprenticeship network provider sure, um, sure. around that um, unfortunately you know we're not quite across every specific aspect of eligibility so no oh, okay that's fine that's fine i just try to get it out of you while i had you. <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's right. not one of those i could give a definitive answer on no that's fine that's fine so tell me about um your interest i, I like the fact that you're involved in research i'm a <clears throat> i'm an absolute research nut myself and um and can never learn enough and i'm always online and i'm always on all the uh <clears throat> the university um uh, portals to try and learn more um so tell me about um your, your personal journey with regards to to what you like to learn about and and have you made use of this time and i obviously moving into a director's role is very time consuming but what have you made use of over this last um, few months particularly uh, for yourself for your own personal learning yeah, so I've uh, actually started delving back into the room of uh, data analytics and statistics. So um, back when I started in research, uh, I have a PhD in psychology, so uh, okay. very much in that behavioural um, area, which is definitely my interest. Um, but we do do a lot of data analytics and, and statistical analysis, uh, which was something I, I really enjoyed um, mm. back when I was working in that area. Um, and slowly I've kind of been moving away from that side of things. So I've been delving back in. Uh, we've been collecting data on a few of our different uh, resources to try and you know, use a, a database method to improve um, our usability and um, some of those things. And we're also, we've got a couple of research projects going on. So I've been going back in and relearning and um, mm. using some new software and those kinds of things. It's been a, a good few months actually being able to re-engage with some of those elements. Yeah, I know we're probably going to alienate 90% of our audience right now, but I love statistics. I really do. <laughs> I, I remember, um, uh, God, I'm going to say 2001. <laughs> 2001, um, it was one of my subjects in the MBA and uh, and um, the, the textbook, I'll never forget it. It was one of those textbooks that uh, smelled like um, spew. <laughs> do you, know, do you know those ones, the ones that have that horrible, yes. <laughs> yeah, that. And I'll never forget that. That's, you yeah. know, how memory, or well, you would know being a psychology um, advocate, uh, you'd know how smell enhances memory. And, uh, and that's one of those ones that always comes back. But I remember that book and falling in love with what you could do with statistics and how, um, you know, you know, how you could even sit down with a, a decent bit of software and, and start to figure out um, tables and, and, and get statistics working for you and seeing how impressive they are to then back up a decision that you need to make in your business or recommend to your business. Back then I was employed by another organization and, uh, and I delved in deep and said, look, we can do this. Oh, well, how can we do this? Because of this statistic. And uh, how'd you get that? Oh, 
doing this, you know, and, um, and I loved it. I, it's actually, yeah, one of the, my favourite subjects. And here's something funny for you. I know this is an interview of you, not me, <laughs> but interestingly, I remember oh, okay. <laughs> during that MBA, uh, like I'm a, um, a trainer. No, like that, that's my passion is an education full stop. But um, I got into uh, some of the advanced skills in training and, and, um, and I pull those apart now in workshops and, and have an absolute ball doing that. And I've been doing it for 15 years. But the subject I got the lowest mark in during my MBA was professional presentations. Oh, no. <laughs> so there you go. If, if anybody listening, it doesn't matter where you start, it's where you end. So where are your goals? Always, always think about your goals. Definitely. So statistics aside, and I'm glad you found time to sort of delve into the new um, software especially and, and, and how to get those analytics working for your organisation. Right. Where What can you see happening um, and I won't say post-COVID because you don't know when that's going to be, but but let's say into 2021, where where do you think things are going to go with apprenticeships? Where do you think things are going to go with um, uh, the statistics actually we use around some of the big decisions that government makes? So two questions. Yeah, well, that is, they are two big questions as oh, well. Oh, no, we got time. <laughs> I think um, apprenticeships are definitely going to be continue recovering. Um, you know, now that Victoria very much has an end to lockdown in sight. Um, in fact, mm. hospitality and retail reopening tomorrow. So uh, mm. we'd expect to see some really good activity in those kinds of sectors. Um, but really across the country, you know, the economy is starting to rebuild. Um, there is a focus on um, reskilling and upskilling. And um, we're certainly you know, keen to keep watching the government and see how much investment or different programs or initiatives might come through there. And the mm. state governments are being really proactive at the moment as well. Um, I think COVID's really enabled a lot of organisations to rethink what they're doing in this space and how they're training and what they're focusing on. Um, so we do certainly hope to see, um, you know, some, some changes, I guess, in the areas that people might be uh, looking at, something we're keeping a really close eye on or two areas actually are around um, sustainability and environmental sustainability um, and um, some increases in activity in those particular areas. So with um, wind farming, with um, hydro, um, energy, um, coal reclaiming, I'm sorry, carbon reclaiming and a lot of those kinds of activities. And then also the, the digital side of things. Um, you know, COVID has forced everyone online. Um, but I don't necessarily think we've come to grips with some of the issues around cybersecurity in those kinds of areas. And, um, you know, uh, IT is just going to be going off the charts. So um, certainly seeing some new innovations in those areas uh, will be fantastic. In terms so, of, sorry. No, yeah. so no, yeah, answer the rest of the question. Apologies, yeah. So, <laughs> Didn't mean to break in, yeah. No, no, in terms of data, um, I think what we've really seen through COVID is the government's relying on much quicker data. Uh, they need data right now to be able to make decisions. And even, you know, in Melbourne, we were seeing yesterday, we had a you know three something o'clock press conference from the Premier because they were waiting on data. Um, and that's a very you know clear example, but even in the apprenticeship space and the vet space, the governments have been relying on much quicker data than what we're used to seeing in the sector. Of course, they still do need that really deep, um, accurate data from um, NCVR, but they are also using um, quicker, I guess in some ways, dirtier data, um, but to really inform quick decisions and then to use the really uh, clean, good quality data to, to reanalyze those and back them up at a later date. So I would suspect that we're going to keep seeing um, 
changes in that kind of area. Uh, the government in the budget did announce a new um, software package for the apprenticeship network providers to use, um, and that uh, may have the potential to increase the, the speed of turnaround in data and some of those kinds of things as well. So um, I'd say that the, you know, from an outsider looking in that, that governments are really concerned about these, you know, the, the ease of access and the speed of access of data to be able to inform decision making and to evaluate programs and those kinds of things as well. I, my think, back on there. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I, I think even from a, a national perspective and an international perspective, because we see this in all the other countries in the world, mm -hmm. that many decisions were made in the first few months of this year based on not zero data, but very limited data from very limited sources. And we saw that evolve over time, um, especially in the health sector, about what was and wasn't required. Uh, and then also from the community uh, sector is, is how we should be responding to it. Um, and I would like to think um, that I, I agree with you. I, I'd like to think that if um, governments uh, and people in decision-making um, positions got more accurate data quickly, then a lot of what we've seen occur, especially in other countries, we're pretty lucky, but also good here with the way we've dealt with it. But um, other countries, definitely, uh, some of those decisions wouldn't have been backed, on, uh, backed off on or they would have been made more clearly and explained more clearly. Because I think that's the other thing with data is that um, it, it's a bit like a science journalist. A science journalist is there to try and take scientific information and make it um, consumable by people who uh, have interest in it but aren't necessarily scientific. And I think the same goes for social policy. You know, if, if uh, something's happening, if there's a pandemic and we need to get apprentices employed but it's taking six months or three months for information just to, to you know seep through for a decision to be made the public tend to think that the government's not working fast enough yeah. and that's just not the case um yeah. and yeah the health sector's Definitely. really been one that uh, i bet they're just scratching at every surface trying to find better ways to get data more more quickly and there's i've never seen so many research papers written on COVID or, or anything <laughs> let alone COVID, in the last uh, six months just oh, everyone's yes. <laughs> doing research to try and say oh this is what happens then this is what happens now mm. so yeah i can see that working um i just to touch on a couple of things you raised then yeah. um you mentioned uh, wind farms uh, sustainability renewable energy that sort of thing as uh, as a way forward for apprentices next year yeah. and, and beyond uh, what sort of trades are involved with them? Uh, excuse my ignorance here, but what sort of trades or are they brand new? Look, there's a huge combination of uh, new areas, but also a lot of um, old, I shouldn't say old trades, but trades that we're very familiar with um, that are being applied to these kinds of things. So, um, you know, ele electricians, general electricians are, you know, absolutely necessary um, across, you know, anything to do with energy, I guess, um, mm. you know, high voltage and those kinds of things. Um, so you'll see a lot of people um, needing electrical licenses and then also areas like plumbing. So again, at more traditional trades, um, there are a lot of uh, organisations doing work around green plumbing, green electricity, solar panel installation, mm. um, a lot of those kinds of areas. And what we're uh, seeing now as well is more units of competency that are coming in um, that can be pulled into those um, qualifications. So we're seeing some core units around sustainability, but we're also seeing um, that flexibility in um, employers, I guess, and apprentices being able to go and uh, choose those uh, units that might be more specific for that kind of more sustainable application as well. Um, and it isn't necessarily uh, the, the case that you're going to be going and doing a, a specific sustainability electrician 
qualification, you know, you're going to become an electrician and you're going to be using those skills applied in these different kinds of environments. So, mm. um, and another big one is um, engineering trades people as well. There's a huge um, skills shortage in things like uh, welding and boiler making, um, mm. but right across um, engineering trades people uh, because, you know, they're needed to make the parts for wind farms, for, you know, all of these kinds of big projects that are coming in. Um, so, you know, there's, again, those kind of traditional skills or those known skills that are being applied in this way. Um, but then I, I think we will also see some more um, custom uh, qualifications coming in in the future as well, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, I'm excited to see where that, that all goes. I, I love that old saying, and I say old saying now because uh, I don't know who said it, but about um, the, you know, the, the jobs that exist, sorry, people going through school now, the jobs that they'll be taking don't even exist yet. <clears throat> and, and I guess that would be the same with um, some of the trades, not so much a job won't exist, but the, the way the trade is, is taught and maybe the electives they choose um, will definitely change over the next few years. Yeah. Um, but I see where that's linked inextricably from government policy. Um, like it, the South Australian government, for instance, fantastic at uh, their renewable energy policy. Um, you know, they've had some backward steps there, but they, they definitely want to go forward with it. Yeah. So I'd imagine in a state like South Australia, um, that would be uh, a first step. If you're becoming an electrician, you make sure you know how wind farms work, you make sure you know how um, that the massive solar farm works. You know, there, there could be jobs for you there yes. or there could be ways ahead. Um, is there a, a place for apprentices once they finish their apprenticeship um, to do like the equivalent of postgraduate qualifications um, to, to then upskill in these other areas? Yeah, so we're seeing a couple of different things here. Um, and I should just say, uh, picking up on South Australia, um, I believe that they had uh, a world first in the entire state was powered by uh, renewable energies uh, for over an hour uh, mm. last week. Um, <coughs> oh, so, wow, okay. Yeah, and I think the, the vast majority of energy in that day was uh, renewable. So yeah. uh, they've kind of crossed that barrier now um, and hopefully it's a lot more stable, but they look like they may be able to um, push energy or electricity out to the other states now rather than um, having to bring it in, which is wow. fabulous. Um, but we're also seeing things. So the <laughs> South Australian government this week has also announced a new dual trade pathway for uh, refrigeration electrical um, technicians. Uh, so dual trades is a, a method for people to be able to pick up multiple skills at once. So being able mm. to, to combine um, two different trades and, and that is becoming more prevalent in some areas, although not others. Um, but certainly we, we do not see a, a, a traditional trade apprenticeship as the end of a learning pathway. There mm. are increasing numbers of skill sets um, that someone with these qualifications can go on to do um, and, and higher level qualifications, either through the VET or through the university systems. So yeah. um, our diploma and advanced diploma level qualifications absolutely are um, huge in some of those trade areas. And then also uh, being able to pathway into university uh, if those um, people need or wish to um, have further education as well mm. at, a, I guess, a higher level. I guess when they get to that engineering level, um, that that's when the universities can step in and say, okay, well, you need this now. But yeah, uh, I, yeah I like the fact that the vet sector has, and whether it's through public or private training organisations, they've really done well to uh, to provide for that. Um, and again, yeah. led by government uh, investment. So that's nice to see. Um, do you see the other states um, listening to what's going on in, um, in South Australia? Um, I think... 
uh, we don't, we, we're not seeing a huge amount necessarily through the governments at the moment, although, you know, we may see that um, changing. But there does seem to be a lot more uh, private investment and activity mm. through the private sector. Um, so I think it's not so much necessarily governments driving this process, although, you know, there will be differences across Australia with that. Um, but really, private organisations seeing um, renewable energies and environmental sustainability as uh, more important to to how they act and to their business models as well. The, the one thing I'm hoping that, and, and being from, or not from Queensland, but I live in Queensland now, I was born in WA, so I guess they've got very similar traditional hooks into the mining sector, which, um, you know, I've got um, nothing against, you know, it's it, we do need to dig stuff out to build stuff. <clears throat> so that it's a sector that needs to exist. Um, but there is a, a prevalence, I guess, in some of the decision-making to uh, appease these very high employment um, sectors. So it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of years um, how, how that goes. Because, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I love this, the idea, at least, or the concept of being more sustainable. And it's nice to hear that you said that the, um, the private sector is stepping in there, because I think maybe if government doesn't, at least the private sector can say that it's viable. Um, and they can show that it's viable and then the government might come along afterwards and say, okay, well, we can see that there are jobs here and, and, um, and we can keep them in Australia and we can do this and we can do that. So, yeah, hopefully that's the way it's going to go. Yeah. Um, with um, Other than, I guess, in the apprenticeship sector and traineeship sector, um, I know that's your, your main um, goal here to, to boost that, I suppose. But um, within vocational education in general, what sort of things have you seen... Uh, that are working well, I guess, in the last um, six months? What, what sort of things have you been made aware of? Oh, gosh, there are so many small projects that are going on as well as some of the larger things. You know, I think the, the sector has really shown how responsive it can be uh, throughout COVID um, mm. in being able to train remotely, um, being able to engage with its students. Um, and, and how it works with employers and industry in that way as well. So I think that's been uh, really positive a lot of the time. Um, I'm trying to think of like a, a really concrete uh, example for you, but um, you know, there, there are so many small stories, particularly the smaller RTOs um, who were extremely responsive to employer needs, who were able to, um, although I guess I'm going back to the apprenticeship space here again, are able to, to support the employers of their apprentices um, in making sure that everyone has been able to transition through COVID, that they're able to, you know, um, support when an, an apprentice or trainee hasn't been able to keep up their, um, their employment side, um, being able to do further um, on, uh, off the job training with the, the training provider. Mm, and, I have and, um, heard of that, yeah. Yeah, even earlier this year, you know, in New South Wales, uh, we saw uh, some changes around apprentices being able to really do uh, further study with their trading provider when the bushfires had affected their businesses. Mm. So, and that was the government coming um, in there as well and supporting that. So, I think we have seen a lot of responsiveness. Um, we're really excited with uh, the job trainer uh, package going ahead, uh, funded by the, the governments across Australia. Um, and you know, the ability that that's going to give people to upskill, retrain, start their training pathway. Um, and there have certainly been a lot of work uh, behind that. I'm not aware of all of it, but, you know, we've heard a bit of it from the government um, into choosing what kinds of um, qualifications and occupation pathways are in there. Um, and um, we're hopeful that, you know, that will be something that can 
bring people into the vet sector and allow them to, to start that, that journey as well. So just to bring us to a bit of a close, I'd like to, I guess, allow you to uh, tell me or tell our listeners how and why they would want to get in contact with your organisation, um, what sort of um, benefits they can gain from doing that, and, and of course, your website and how to do it. Absolutely. So um, at ADIS, we are uh, funded by the federal government to provide uh, accurate, timely and um, informative information um, for users right across the, the spectrum. So if you are working in the apprenticeships industry, so an RTO, working in an apprenticeship network provider, or if you're uh, someone interested in getting into an apprenticeship or a traineeship or employing an apprentice or trainee, we're able to talk through your options. We're able to work with you to understand the system and what it might um, provide for you. So our main resource is the Australian Apprenticeships Pathways website, aapathways.com.au. Um, aapathways, I like that. that aapathways, yeah. Aapathways, oh, okay. Yep. Double A, yeah. <laughs> um, and we've got a, a huge range of information and resources on that website um, to support the information needs of people um, and, you know, they can give us a call as well. Our contact details are all on the website. So okay. if someone's a bit confused about what their options are, uh, they can give us a call. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll make sure I put the link in the, um, in the description of the podcast so people can follow Fabulous. it nice and easily. And uh, look, thank you so much for your time today, Peter. It's been uh, wonderful talking to you and it's <laughs> nice to have a fellow statistics buff. <laughs> oh, fabulous. There aren't too many of us around, although. No, no, I usually go in the corner and, and hide with shame when people you know, start asking me about that, that sort of thing. But um, no, I do love it. Between that and actually psychology as well, whilst I'm not a psychologist by any means, um, learning and psychology go hand in hand and I'm an education buff. Absolutely. So it's, it's absolutely, uh, I love that topic. So enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much for spending some time with us here at the Vocational Education Podcast. And um, yeah, once we've uploaded it, we'll let you know the link and uh, feel free to share. Beautiful. Thank you for having me on today. Pleasure. All the best, Peter. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye for now.